Revolutionary Podcast coming your way, episode number 521, rolling right along, Steve and the Mobster here. Today in episode 521, we're going to be doing Do Your Own Research, Bro Science is Fake. So let's get right into it, Mobster. This was the topic that you wanted to do really, really bad. So why don't you tell the listeners what you mean by this topic and and um, start us off on the show. Right, let's start with do your own research, Steve. I'm going to take that as el numero uno. Right, so it is. there is no excuse now, guys. There would have been when Steve and I started, and certainly when I started, because I'm older than Steve, uh, the amount of information that was available to us was tiny. I actually went out and brought two books. And my, and my sensible head, Steve, was what they agreed on would be factual, and what they disagreed on was opinion. And I was kind of limited. And then there was a little bit more muscle media too fast and started having anabolic round tables and this kind of stuff. Once the internet kicked in, we had a lot more access to information. But what we also had a lot more access, access to was guys who know nothing sounding like they were experts. And there's a, a tiny, tiny amount of clinical data. There are, I can, I can actually think of, and I'd have to quote the specific names of the studies, but there's probably three or four studies I can think of, Steve, where they've used performance-enhancing drugs at the level that a moderate cycle user would use. For the most part, it was always less. Now, let's start with the, the obvious doing your own research. When it comes to anabolic steroids, most anabolic steroids or performance-enhancing drugs weren't really made, designed, created for use in the gym. They were created for medical reasons, for anemia, for the lack of height, for uh, recovering after serious injuries and burns and the like. They wasn't created to make you a better Olympic athlete. They wasn't created to put an inch on your arms. They were created for completely different reasons. So the only reason we have any kind of data at all, and I say data, what I really mean is opinions, is because of the time, for example, let's use Dynabol, how long it's been used, uh, the amount of people that have used it and had their, their particular responses. And I'll give you an example. One of the gurus here in this country, Mick Hart, who would be considered very old school to a lot of their listeners if they look him up. But he was able to make the point, Steve, that the reason he had the information that he could give advice is because over the time he'd written for Bodybuilding Monthly and done consults like yourself with a, probably something approaching 10,000 people. And so therefore, even if he'd made mistakes at the beginning, by the end of he's done that many back and forth interviews, consults, and seen the response to cycles that 10,000 people had, he's going to have a massive amount of information, research, and experience to be able to come up with the kind of information that he does. Now, the problem that we have, Steve, is that we can have a bunch of 15-year-old active teenagers hiding in their mum's basement and typing out like this on Olympian on a forum. And that used to happen a lot, as you know, just five, ten years ago. They get caught out now, but five, ten years ago, it was a huge thing. You can quote from a magazine and sound like an expert when you've had, you've not even tried anabolic steroids or performance-enhancing drugs yourself. And we see this all the time. We see it on the forum of guys that are – we've had teenagers asking, and the, and, and the numbers that sometimes they throw out would be a, an Olympic-level athlete's steroid cycle for them. So. That's where the logic goes at. That's where the science goes at. So you must, you must, even if Steve and I come up with something on this podcast right now, 
double check. Check that what we said is correct. Check that other people agree with our opinion. It can be a little bit annoying if you're asking 20 people when you should just be getting the hell on with it. But equally, at least you'll know that Steve and the mobs have told, got you right. They told you, as best they possibly could, a factual reason for doing the and giving the advice that they gave for the doses that they talked about in the way that they talked about using it and so on and so forth. It's too easy. And, and I'll give an example again, Steve. Um, when it comes to this kind of information, and especially when it comes to doing your own research, how many times have we seen in the past doctors quoting from doctors' books, and we're talking about medical doctors, MDs, as we call them GPs in this country. These are not endocrinologists. They're just the people you go to see if your knee aches or your shoulder aches or if you've got a cold, talking like they were experts on something they had no knowledge about. And for probably the longest time, Steve, they were telling us that steroids did not work. You didn't get strong. You didn't get bigger, more muscular. So we knew it was bullshit. And, and even the endocrinologists are only trained in a specific kind of way. It's only to become more specialized and more recognized. And indeed, some doctors themselves have worked out that we started to see this kind of information change. So that alone, Steve, proves to you that the, the, the knowledge, the experience and stuff like that can be misguided. It can be misquoted. You can even have people that just straightforward made a mistake when they put down an, an extra zero. So instead of saying 200 milligrams, they put 2,000 milligrams. And then it becomes factual because you say, well, that's what it says here. It isn't black and white. Again, doing your own research. I would say for the most part, pretty much all of us, you and I included, but we've probably got a little bit more experience and a little bit of greater breadth of knowledge. And we do research these shows, guys. We do look up stuff before we start talking about it on these podcasts. Um, you're often as not talking about that specific person giving you their personal experience or their personal opinion because your buddy down the gym, that person online that you've never met, may literally have zero muscle or zero knowledge and can easily come across in a way that persuades you that this is the right thing to do. They can talk about a buddy of theirs who put on 10 pounds on this drug. You've got no idea whether it was 10 pounds. You've never seen the buddy. You don't know who he got his product from. It just goes on in that particular regard. So you need to, you, you need to do your own research, whether that's in training, whether it's in nutrition, and especially, in my opinion, when it becomes to performance enhancing drugs of all kinds, peptides, SARMs, anabolic steroids, the full, everything, fat burners, everything. You need to have at least a basic working knowledge. And the least, least, least you should have is that you should check the information that's been given to you before you proceed. Guys, you need to learn to drive a car and you need to get a license and you can kill people if you don't know what you're doing. Hell, you can kill people if you do know what you're doing when it comes to driving a car. You should, you're supposed to read the inserts on over-the-counter medications for the, the risk of side effects. And yet we will take bro science as being on point when it comes to injecting a, a anabolic steroid into your muscles, into, into your ass, into your shoulder. So you need to have that kind of level of, I need to know what I'm doing. I need to double-check the information that's available to me. I need to know that what I'm doing is using is correct, is clean, is, 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 is full of the... Uh, ingredient that I want it to have, and I need to have a work and understand those things. You need to avoid doctors in terms of that, unless they are specifically trained in that area. 
you need to know that most studies do not have proper dosages in and you need to even as i said many many times to look at the clinical use for the item that you're using before you think about it as a performance enhancing drug back to you so here's the thing i was thinking about this on the pre-show too one of the things i wanted to give up uh, one of the things that i've noticed in the gym um, i'm going to go over a couple things in the gym you know it's a very popular place for bro science i think in the gym, um, some of the things I've heard will just just are just un incredible, you know. So you'll hear a lot of stuff in the gym, but you'll hear a lot of people otherwise, especially in the internet world, regurgitate. They'll parrot information that they saw on some guy's social media channel, and you know, you came across our podcast if you're listening to us through social media channels, <clears throat> you know, through algorithms, and the algorithms. You were listening to someone else's show. The algorithm sent you over here, you know, and then you start listening to us show. You're like, oh, these guys seem cool. I want to listen to them. And then you may have seen some other channels, too, through the algorithm. So that's how it works on social media. And the way you boost yourself up on these algorithms, unfortunately, is through clickbait. And that's something we just don't do on this show. You know, we, we, we want to do this show. We want to bring facts. We want to present the science. And then you can decide from there. But here's why it's become like that. You know, originally back when the fitness industry first discovered, you know, YouTube and social media as an outlet to share and share information and talk about the stuff. A lot of these guys came up with their own channels and they would actually help people. They would give weightlifting advice. They'd give steroid advice. That was yes. pretty decent. Uh, diet advice. That was pretty decent. And it was called you. Two. In other words, it was you giving your opinion and, you know, it, it, people could listen to it and people could comment and ping pong ideas back and forth. And it was really cool. But then those guys over time, they started building up a lot of followers, 50,000, 100,000 or more followers. And then once you get to that point, that's when you start grifting off of people. And they started grifting. They started selling their bullshit supplements that don't do anything. They started selling T-shirts. They started selling uh, training programs, $500, $600 training programs, which, is, which are just copy-pasted. You know, and they started to grift. And then once they get even bigger, then they start the next grift. The next grift is going to be spiking their supplements. The next grift is going to be being radicals and doing and talking about radical ideas uh, bringing up uh, non-fitness related topics just to get clicks, just to get controversy. Then it it's insulting other so other channels and insulting yeah. someone, insulting a bodybuilder, attacking Arnold, attacking The Rock, attacking big celebrities because then you know you get the algorithm coming your way because people are on there looking up videos about The Rock and then they see your video off to the side the algorithm where you're bashing the rock and then you're like oh let me let me check it out so they'll say these radical things they'll even make you know very you know they'll insult religions and race and 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 gender and all this other stuff just to get clicks and then what happens is now they don't care about putting out good factual information and science and stuff. Now they just want to get more and more views because it starts, they get that rolling. They want views. They want clicks. They want people to buy their programs. They want people to buy their supplements. So then it evolves into misinformation, bad information. I don't care. I'm going to tell you to run 2000 milligrams of trend a week. 
because yeah. you know I don't give a shit about you. You're just a number to me. You're just one of 150,000 followers on my channel. And that's bullshit. You know, and that's what, what that's what we're not about on this on this podcast. So on this podcast, you're not going to hear bro science. You're not going to hear misinformation. You're not going to hear this bullshit. We're going to look at the studies. And there's been so many studies that have come out that we are going to be talking about on this podcast going forward, mobster, on some yeah. of these topics that we're going to get into. It's going to blow your mind. And um, <laughs> our friends over there on your side of the pond, you know, a lot of them work in these universities and a lot of them spend their time doing these long-term decades-long studies that are coming yeah. out over the last five to 10 years that are really, really interesting. And those are the things we need to keep an eye on, not some guy on uh, social media telling you uh, bro science as fact, you know? So yeah, mobster, jump in, go ahead. Let me give you two examples where the science changed or or the theory changed, right? So I'm thinking specifically of creatine when it first came out. And Dr. Paul Greenhalf, I believe Nottingham University here in the United Kingdom, was the it, it, creatine had been isolated, discovered as a as a chemical, as as a whatever, way, way, way back, 1800s, early 1900s, Steve. But as a sports supplement that was going to add body weight uh, and increase muscle power and make you better performance in the gym. Dr. Paul Greenhouse was talking about this stuff, I believe, off the top of my head, around 1990. And one of the things that they did at that time, and where the quote-unquote bro science, it was considered to be scientific at the time, but it was later proved to be fallacy, was that you were recommended to take glucose with it. You might recall this. And there was a bunch of actual drinks that were available, including stuff where creatine could not possibly uh, stay stable in a particular drink, creatine serum, I think, you know. So the idea was that you, you you brought your creatine, you took your five grams, and you had a bunch of glucose at the same time. But the problem with that was, and where the bro science come in, is the science had been confused. So what they were doing in the lab is they wanted to measure how much creatine had been taken up, and they were using a uh, believers called a glucose sensitivity, which was done, funny enough, for um, diabetics, as a measure of how much glucose is being absorbed by the body and the effect on your blood sugar. And at the same time, they was able, therefore, to also uh, check how, had your creatine, how much creatine had been absorbed, how much had gone into the muscle cells, and so on and so forth. In reality, we didn't have to do that at all. What was the other one that was associated with creatine, Steve, that you had to load? I did it. And I, funny enough, I did the whole glucose thing as well, Steve, which was uh, five, sorry, four, five gram, or take teaspoons of creatine every day for the first week to load and in reality we didn't need to load it just absorbs slowly but surely over time until it body is saturated so you didn't need to load it so that was another piece of bro science as an example and we always reference some links into the articles that are associated with these podcasts <coughs> two of the links here talked about the idea of low dose debol bridging between cycles now <laughs> The theory was something along the lines of if you took a really small dose, like five or 10 milligrams of Debol, it wouldn't suppress your natural production of testosterone. And it was a way of holding on to muscle tissue and the strength and the power that you've got from the cycle, as well as obviously the training and nutrition that you was doing anyway. In reality, as Steve and I will talk about, suppression is suppression is suppression. And whether it's five or 10 milligrams or 30 or 50 milligrams, you're still crushing quote unquote, your natural production. Natural production will be stopped or negated somewhat 
whether it's five or 10 milligrams. But this was a popular topic to the point where it's two of the links that I provided for the, for the article, Steve, are specifically about that, including a, a, a fellow that had gone across a bunch of forums who was mentioned by name and, and how he'd come up with this theory of doing that kind of stuff. You know, it, so people wanted an, an angle that allowed them to continue holding onto the muscle in their size, but not suppressing their natural production. But in reality, the suggestion that was being made as a way round the rules, so to speak, of what your body's production being stopped or not stopped was to take the super low dose, but it didn't work. But it it, it run yeah. we had we had about two years of it, Steve. So let me <laughs> let me let me comment on that. So this is another change that we've seen because here's the thing when I talked about at the beginning about gyms and stuff. So back in the 80s and 90s, you know, when bodybuilding was blowing up and stuff where did you get your information the only place you get your information is from other people at the gym there wasn't internet forums there wasn't internet websites there wasn't a way to look up pubmed studies and and all this stuff um and the second option was to go to the library and read up on stuff but of course in the library you're not going to find books on anabolic steroids on the shelf i mean i could be wrong maybe there are some libraries that have stuff like that but I would say for the most part, you're going to find only uh, books on weight training, maybe on diet. And so and you got to get my the library, book. Steve, Steve my, my library has them, but most libraries don't. Yeah, so I, would, I don't think they do. Yeah, I don't think most small. So, but Mobster definitely has a hell of a library. Um, he showed me his um, his books that he has uh, in his home. So I'm gonna he, he's going to will those over to me, by the way, when he passes on. So I'm going to get those books. But so one of the things I noticed is some of the old timers, they'll regurgitate the same bro science over and over and over again, because you could get away with it back in the 80s and 90s. You could if if, if you came on the forum, let's say in the 90s or early 2000s, when these uh, steroid forms first started coming out and you knew how to bully people and you had. Uh, 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 you know, you were a VIP of the forum and you sponsor, you know, you, you you sold a supplement or something. You could go on there and just bully everyone into into believing your point of view on stuff. But you would basically also there was a little grift going where you were really good on forums where you could persuade people and you could basically you never lose an argument like you're always the last one in a thread to uh to comment because you always had to have the last word on every thread so your point of view would get elevated versus someone else's point of view who had a hell of a lot more knowledge but didn't have your type of influence so does that make sense to people so so what that created was a huge imbalance between people who knew how to uh, post on forums and had no life and could just sit on forums all day and posting and they had an incentive to post because they were selling supplements on that forum or they were a source who or rep for a source or something like that, you see? So those types of people ended up having a huge microphone versus other people who didn't. So what ended up happening is they would post the same misinformation over and over and over. And one of the misinformations that we see out there, Mobster, is that Trend is a vet steroid or EQ <laughs> is a vet steroid. Uh, you know, how many times you see people say that because they just parrot the same information and it's not true. But back then you couldn't say if you went in there and you said it's not true, then they would hammer you. They, Them and their posse would go and hammer you and say, no, yeah. you're an idiot. Blah, 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 blah. 
now you can actually post you you have links to actual studies that you can post and you have to back up the shit you say like when i write an article i have citations that i use yes. to show what i am saying you see what yes. i'm saying so but back then you didn't have that so you could just get away with it could be just trust me bro you know it's like trust me bro eq is a vet story trust me bro no it's not stop saying it and stop mm -hmm. being an asshole to everyone else when you say it because it's not true you're only making yourself out to be a moron so today you know we have that that ability to basically cross check everything and that's a good thing you know that we have that unless you're basically cross checking information with more misinformation then you're kind of screwed yeah. Yeah, so I yeah. think that we've kind of shot down a lot of this bro signs and a lot of the people who parrot the same bullshit over and over that you're just going to look stupid today doing that. So that's one of the benefits of of today versus the way things were 20 years ago or, or 25 years ago. In, in our sports, Steve, as you know, in, as in any sport, there are trends. There are there are things that are popular now and then they become less popular later on. Let me give you an example, guys, where the science didn't really back it up, where even professional bodybuilders were saying, and I've used this in a previous podcast, Steve, it was, if it fits your macros. The idea being that if you, it didn't matter what the source of fats was, it didn't matter what the source of carbs were, it didn't matter what the source of protein were. It, they could be super poor. They could be essentially, and I'll be crudest, they'd shit, crap, just donuts and, and, and fatty milk. Uh, the, the chocolate milk diet. There's there's a bunch of stuff out there, and for for probably about ten years, fifteen years ago, and Steve is exactly right with certain personalities. I'm thinking particularly of one particular form in as an example. The person in question posted up photographs, and they had a lean live. They wasn't super bodybuilding, but they had a little bit of muscle, and they had that small waist, and they looked like they knew what they were fucking talking about, Steve. And he was a big advocate of if it fits your macros and the reality was he was able to get away with that shit he had that kind of metabolism that was fast uh, the lifestyle activity level off the forums no doubt that supported it probably an ectomorph with a tiny little bit of a mesomorphic trait vis-a-vis -vis the smaller waist and well broad shouldered but it looked broader because of the smaller waist and so on and so forth and he was a big drum banger for the idea that if it fits your macros now you've got this guy with a little bit of muscle, especially online, on a forum, quoting, and like Steve said, they're every single day posting away. Whereas if you're a podgy guy or podgy woman, uh, and you're saying, well, if he looks like that and it works for him, it works for me, you're wrong. And you're wrong because you're podgy. You're podgy now. You've got fat now. What makes you think that doing what he says is going to make that any better with the diet that you've already chosen because you're essentially eating what the hell you like. But are you, for example, making sure that the ratios are good in terms of fat to carbs to protein? Probably not. But if you did and it was still kind of crappy, would you start to look good? And my favourite quote, and I've mentioned it before on this podcast, it was Dexter Jackson, a.k.a. The Blade. And Dexter's known for being lean and in shape. Not a giant. Started out as a lightweight and it took him God knows how long. We've got so many competitions. To win in the Mr. Olympia, uh, to to get to heavyweight status, 220 or so pounds. 
from, I believe, something like 138 pounds, 135 pounds, Steve. So a long time, but ripped or in shape or almost ripped or almost in shape, even on his worst days, the whole of that time. And he said, I still have to do cardio. I still have to diet. And I still have to eat the bodybuilding foods that everybody else eats, whether that's chicken breast or, or fish and rice or eating, getting the supplements in and getting up at 4 a.m. to do the all the things that top professional bodybuilders do, he was still doing because he said, if it worked, I would have burgers and ice cream and look amazing. But it doesn't work. And I've probably got some of the best genetics for being in shape in the world, certainly the top 10%. In Dexter's case, because he's one of the mystery, the top 1% of 1% and still had to eat properly and still had to do cardio, dedicated, still had to do the grind, same as every other pro. He just had that genetic advantage of thinner skin and being able to get in the shape relatively compared to most people, certainly compared to the guys and girls on the street in terms of being able to do that better than them. But he, he said it doesn't work. It didn't work. And, of course, what happens? At some point, the personality that I'm talking about disappears. His followers, dedicated uh, followers that they are, try and find that they don't get into the same shape as their champion. The readers, the listeners, the people that are talking to the followers and talking to this guru find that it doesn't work that they don't get into shape and they curse him. They've got no idea, for example, Steve, if he's off using performance-enhancing drugs or if he's using fat burners, he's not mentioned and so on. And another one as an example, and Steve talked about the algorithm at the beginning. I can think of this, Jason something or other, and I'm not talking about the special needs fellow. I'm talking about the one that would sit on his blogs on YouTube loading bullets into magazines or using a gun press to, to fill the empty shell cases with a pattern and put insert the, the, the bullet into the top of it while he was talking on camera and claimed that he was a sniper and that he'd been in the Middle East and eventually got outed. But for the longest time, probably the best part of two or three years, when he wasn't doing this kind of crazy stuff, which got him the traction and the algorithm that benefited him, as Steve said, was still putting out information in a way that made him sound like he knew what he was talking about. And eventually you realise that if he did any kind of military activity, which we found out he hadn't, and was not, so he wasn't a sniper, never mind a, a, a vet, would probably almost certainly would have been suffering from PTSD. You've also got to remember, and again, I'm thinking of one or two individuals um, famous during their time, whose opinion changed during their time and experimenting on professional bodybuilders that came to meet them to the point of where some of those people got fucked up um, and, 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 and created some amazing bits. They were kind of experimental, but the problem is at the time, their personality type is so strong. And again, that's where the algorithm and, 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 and this traction comes in, is that it can sound factual when it's not. And especially when there was no science, no, this person's literally coming out of this theory off the top of the head. These are the kind of people that are experimenting with DNP way, 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 way back, Steve. And as you said, these were the ones that were converting phenoplex, the cattle pellets, into trend way, way, way back at the beginning. And the risk of infection was incredibly high if they messed up the, the concoction that they were using, the method that they used to get the phenoplex into an injectable form, and so on. So they were out there leading the, the, the search, if you like, for information, Steve, but 
some of the information they gave out at that time was experimental at best and just plain good old-fashioned wrong. And as Steve said, one of the great examples, and I've actually done this when it comes to studies, I'm quite good at speed reading, but especially at the part of the study where it relates to the individuals that were being tested. And I argued a couple of points and have even had my own opinion changed in that particular regard, arguing, for example, about the difference between RDAs and ODAs, ODAs being an optimal daily amount, and so on and so forth. So you look at this, but we can look at, uh, as Steve said, studies and see, right, was these people that had ever trained, if a study puts £10 of muscle on every person in the study, had they trained before? Because if the listener is training, he's not going to put on £10 of muscle because he's not new to train. Was they all using a specific product in an incredible amount that's incredibly expensive, whereas the rest of us can only afford a much smaller amount that's within our budget and so on. And that's happened, Steve. We, 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 you and I did a podcast recently on a peptide that was $12,000 a day. How many of our listeners don't know $12,000 a day? None, or almost none, I would guarantee it. So the idea that, you know, this peptide is amazing. Yeah, if you can afford $12,000 a day. If you can't, it isn't. So it's that kind of logic. It's that kind of science. So you need to look at these things. You need to understand that for the most part, clinical use versus um, performance enhancement use is completely different. It's very rare that we use less than the clinical use. I can think of only one or two examples off the top of my head. Most of the time we're using it in a vastly higher amount, and that's just with sensible usage, 10 times as a minimum. If it's 20 milligrams in the clinical use, we're using 200 Uh you know, and sometimes, of course, as Steve said already, we can listen to someone who's incredibly muscular, but they're using 2,000. Their response, physical response, is better than yours just before they started. Their ability to use that drug is better than yours. Their ability not to suffer side effects is better than yours. Where's the science? There isn't any science. The science has come from 10,000 athletes, 100,000 athletes, hundreds of thousands of members, like on our forums. And as an example, Steve, Debo would be the greatest example. We've talked about this before. The, the ability for most first-time users of steroids to grow very, very well on 30 milligrams of Debo is legendary from the 50s to 60s till now. And we were talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of users. So we know that that kind of dosage will bring in the great and vast majority of users produce a fantastic result if nutrition and training are important. But as an example, Stephen, is a sort of bro science thing again. Will it make you lose weight? Will it lean you out? If you're a fat guy, will you become ripped using 30 milligrams of D-Bolt? No. And what's another example, Steve? And I've mentioned this before. Trust in the person that's selling you something to give you good advice. Yeah. Uh, on that basis, I've got a bridge in Brooklyn that you want to buy. It's that kind of thing again. If you go to a car showroom, the person that wants to sell your car is going to probably sell you the car that they make the greatest deal on, that they get the best percentage on as a sales rep versus the car that you went in to buy, the family car that you went in, the sensible buy, the one within your budget that doesn't appeal to your masculinity because it's red and looks like a Ferrari or goes up the side of a mountain. But really, you need something you, the wife and the two kids can go to the shops in. So they've got the, it's that kind of logic and it's that kind of situation. I've seen this and I said this at the end of the pre-show. I have literally seen, and I, I do like this fellow, he's a really good buddy of mine. 
But my local gym owner, he's a fantastic fella. But the stuff that he comes out with sometimes in terms of what's worked for him and when it comes to helping other people in terms of providing uh, assistance, shall we say, with performance-enhancing drugs, leaves something to be desired. And I've actually disagreed with him in front of this person and persuaded them that, you know, the long-term benefit is to go smaller amounts and so on and so forth. So they might lose something, if you like, on the sale, but they gain something in terms of this is this is the logic, this is the science, these are the things you need to check out. And like I said, it applies to pretty much anything. We Listen, in the days of Amazon and eBay, if you and Steve and I and anybody else on this podcast was to go out and buy a TV, nine times out of ten, we'd go and we would check the reviews. Is it a good television? Is the, is, what's the picture quality like? Do, is anybody of my buddies on Facebook that's got this TV because I'm thinking of buying it? What's a good price for it? You ask. We need to do exactly the same kind of thing when we're talking about performance-enhancing drugs. We need to think like that. What's the reviews? Has anybody tried it? Did they run it at this dose? What was the effect? What was the side effects? And then look as best we possibly can, as Steve said, because I've done the same, when you reference factual points of information, like the study, the, the write-ups that Steve's done, with specific studies and clinical data that's available. And now, better than any time in history, as I said before, access to information, like Steve said, with PubMed. We can look at the studies and we can read, like I said earlier on, the way that the study was created. There are literally guides online that tell you how to read through these things. I, nine times out of ten, Steve, I look at what the study was for, I look at the conclusion, and then if I need to, I go back in and look at how the study was run. Uh, and, and even, for example, with studies against it, was it sponsored? If it was, We've seen this happen, and I can think of one very big supplement company in the industry that's been that's coming back, which will remain nameless again, that sponsored several studies that proved that their product was incredibly effective. But that makes the study biased. So therefore, you have to question the legitimacy of the study. And that's the kind of thing. It's, it's difficult. I get it, guys. We're all time-limited now. But you need to make time for this kind of information and this kind of checking and verification when it comes to putting a drug into your body. You should do it, whether it's a vaccination, you should do it, whether it's a painkiller, and you should certainly do it when it's a performance-enhancing drug. Back to you, Steve. One of the ways we talked about earlier on uh, macro, the whole macro thing, one of the simplest ways to shut down anybody, whether it's on the forum or in person, when they're, when they're lecturing you about if it fits your macros, is just ask them, in nature... Uh, is there any food that exists in nature that contains both car carbs and fat? And then that usually shuts them up really quick because there are some foods. Avocado, for example, does contain carbs and fat, but an avocado also contains a shit ton of fiber as well. So it's going to have a different reaction in your body. So cookies, cake, ice cream, carbs and fat, not good for you. Cereal, not good for you. I mean, across the board, all these comfort foods that people put in their body these don't belong in our body so just being able to count how many carbs and how much fat you're getting in a day and thinking that you're going to be able to get away with eating shitty food it just doesn't work because in nature foods like that don't exist unless they can't they contain a shit ton of fiber so if they injected you know some of these comfort foods like a donut with a bunch of fiber no one no one would eat it i don't think that there's a a market for that for a donut that also contains uh fiber and, and water and stuff like that, that fruits do contain. So 
anyway, um, listen, great show. Um, this is uh, this is a little bit of a complicated topic, but I'm glad we uh, we got to talk about it, and it really uh, demonstrates uh, how much uh, misinformation is out there and how it's important for you ultimately to make your own decisions, especially when it comes to your steroid use and nutrition and what you put on your body. All right, mobster, take us in the disclaimer. I'm just thinking of one more thing, Steve, which is Dorian Yates. Before he even hit the gym, after he'd done some time, uh, 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 a prison-type thing here in the UK, the name of which escapes me, he came out of that situation, decided he was going to take up training, and literally for the first few weeks did nothing but read as much as he possibly could. That's where he got the whole mug, mess, heavy duty thing from. He literally sat down and bought a bunch of books and read a bunch of magazines and read as much as he possibly could on the science and the theory of exercise and nutrition before he hit the gym properly. And that's the reason why he ended up being the freak of nature that he was. So if an Olympian needs to do that and recommends doing it and still talks about doing it now, then the rest of us need to take that time. After all, it should be, in my opinion, Steve, something we're going to do for the rest of our lives. Hopefully that's what you and I are doing. And I would like to think a good percentage of our listeners are going to be in this game for life. So spending a few weeks, a few hours, Checking out the information is well worth your time, guys, because it's an investment into the future. Please note, we are not doctors and the opinions are ours. It is our view and is based on our experience and views on the topic. Our podcasts are for informational purposes and entertainment only. The freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies.